Coming to you live. Live. And podcasting around the globe. You're listening to the Deal Farm Podcast. Guaranteed to tickle your real estate loving ear holes. And now, here's your host, world-renowned TV heartthrob and investor extraordinaire, Ken Corsini. Hey, this is Ken Corsini with the Best Deal Ever show. On today's episode, I am joined by my main man, Joe Lieber out of Cleveland, Ohio. How you doing, man? Yo, what's up, man? Dude, I'm loving the custom microphone. Yeah, dude, I'm trying to get fancy these days. That's legit. <laughs> For those of you that don't know, Joe is a big baller. Bottom line, he's just bought his new Land Rover yesterday. Sitting next Thanks, to his man. Bentley. Yes, sir, it is. <laughs> I love it, dude. Hey, so so Joe and I actually go back. Joe and uh, we've been in the same mastermind probably since what, 2012? Yeah, uh, yeah, joined. 12 or 13. Yeah, right around 13. there. Yeah, mm-hmm. so we, and actually, interestingly enough, I went up to Cleveland hung out with them, bought some properties, kind of regret it. Just, <laughs> just kidding. Cleveland, if you guys have never been to Cleveland, it's actually, it was a very cool town. Now, the city's a little bit difficult to work with when it comes to you know, landlord-tenant issues, but sure. the city itself, awesome, right? Yeah, it's a great place. I mean, so many cool things going on up there. But so Joe is affectionately known as the, uh, the ghettoologist. Do you still go by the, the ghettoologist? A little bit, yeah. Trying to become the betterologist, but yeah, yeah, for sure. <laughs> I like it. I like it. So, uh, well, so tell people your sort of your model up there in Cleveland. So yeah, man. You know, I've been selling turnkey for the past couple of years. You know, I, I buy uh, houses, cheaper houses uh, on the Cleveland's west side, and we rent them out either private pay or Section Eight. And we're a cash flow state, so it's heavy cash flow. Yeah, big time. And uh, you know, I keep a lot of stuff. I sell a lot of stuff. Uh, just it's real estate investing, man. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you, I mean, that's sort of been your thing over the last several years. You've amassed a massive portfolio of houses up there and you were buying them at the bottom. So like, what were you yeah, buying man. these houses for? Oh my gosh. Dude, there was a period of time where I was buying houses between five and 20 grand. That's crazy. It's crazy. And, I mean, they're practically free houses. I mean, for dude, a while. And the, and the rents never changed much, you know? Yeah. So even back then, you know, you're getting 800 bucks a month on a house you paid 10 grand for with a $5,000 rehab. And it's just crazy. It really went on for a long, long time. And I still have a lot of those houses to this day. It's yeah. crazy. Yeah. Well, they're sort of the old school row houses, right? And yep. what, I, what I was surprised about is how inexpensive the houses were up there, but how the neighborhoods actually were still good neighborhoods. You know, I felt yeah. like I was going to be in a real dangerous area. Yeah. And we're walking these streets. It felt really normal. I didn't, it didn't feel, you know, like I was in the hood. And it wasn't. It's not hood. It's, no, it's, it's not. Good. No, there are hood neighborhoods, but I, I try to stay clear of those these days, man. You kept me out of this. What was funny? Him and I are driving around Cleveland, you know, so many years back, and all of a sudden, it's like, wait a second, that's the house from a Christmas story. Yeah, man. <laughs> and it looks. I mean, it fit. I mean, what's funny is the street just was like a normal street in the middle of Cleveland, and there was like the Christmas story house, which is like one of my favorite movies. Yeah, it's a great movie. You yeah. got a leg lamp. I think I sent you a leg lamp. I think you did send me. I still have that actually at my office. Good. That's amazing. So, so over the last so many years, you were over, I mean, a hundred and so what were you at the height? Like how big was your portfolio? Dude, I was about 217, 217 SFRs, man. Yeah. Really? I did not realize you got that high. I got real big. And, and, and I realized quickly though, it, at that many properties, you either got to go bigger yeah. to get more staff that's a weird number or you have to come down and there was a period where I was just buying to buy man you know I was like I would buy anything you'd call me I'll take it you know 
and I noticed all that was a mistake, right? Because you're buying a house that needed, you know, they're heavy CapEx. Yes. They needed things done and they weren't the best neighborhoods or best situations. And I just figured, man, instead of trying to scale up and just create more chaos in my life, I'm going to bring it down. So I yeah. brought it down. I sold about a hundred. I sold a hundred. I kept myself around the 120 uh, property range for a lot of years. And wow. then recently started coming off of that a little bit. And are you just sort of uh, letting go of the ones that have been the problem houses and kind of keeping the cherries for the most part? No, not really, man. Really. It just, it wears on you, right? You know, it's, it's a lot of work. Uh, right. It's, it's real estate investing rentals. It's not a passive, passive investment. Right. It's an active, passive investment. Right. And for anyone who thinks it's passive, passive, you're gonna lose a hell of a lot of money. Yeah. So, you know, and it, I had to keep my finger on the trigger every day. You know, you got to sit in that seat and yeah. I'm driving it. You know, I'm sending leasing agents out, disposition team project managers. And I still do that to this day, but you have to stay on the trigger or you're yep. going to lose a hell of a lot of money. Yeah. And that's just right. the reality of it. You know, you're, it's one of those things, even if you've got a property manager on staff, like you did, you're still the quarterback. You're Absolutely, still telling man. people what plays to run. I mean, the whole dang time, you're still making decisions on what to fix and what not to fix and how to handle this tenant situation. So I think that's a really important point to make that it is, it's not a hundred percent passive. Like some people think. No, it's not. Did you ever want to bring in a, I mean, like an outside property manager where you tried to be hands off? Did you ever go that route? You know, I never did. You know, I, I just, I was always trying to keep a pulse on the repairs. You know, I think property management companies are great. I yeah. love them. They handle a lot of the, the bull, but they make their money in the repairs, you know, and I was yeah. always able to find cheap labor. Yeah. So instead of paying 200 bucks to install a kitchen faucet, I'd rather have paid 75. Yeah. yeah. I just, I felt like I had to always keep my trigger on it, man, from clean outs to turnover to evictions. Yeah. Uh, I could never turn it over, man. Yeah. And that is, that's where you get nailed, especially on an, on an older house. There's always some, some amount of CapEx and then turnover will kill you if you're not careful. Absolutely. And it'll, it'll, it'll crush profits. You know, these houses only you're going to make, you know, between five and $8,000 net net a year anyways. And right. that can go really quickly with a roof or windows oh, or yeah. furnace. Next thing you know, it's a break-even investment the whole year. Yeah. So, it's really careful. Well, and if I remember correctly, I mean, for a long time, you were putting private notes on most of these acquisitions with like really fast amortizations, like five-year, mm -hmm. 10-year AMs, right? That's how, that was my secret uh, ninja trick. That's how I got the whole thing paid for. Yeah. From like 2008 to 2013, you could buy this house is so cheap that I would actually finance them with private mortgages from private lenders on five-year fully amortized loans. I was paying 15% to lenders and still breaking even or slightly cash flowing. Oh my it was gosh. a five-year AM, dude. I mean, I had that. That's how I got the whole portfolio paid for Yeah, so quickly. Uh, right. They're just five-year AM, dude. It was amazing. It was a good so, ride. Are, so at this point, all your whole portfolio is owned outright? Do you still have any It's owned mortgages? outright. I have no mortgages on my portfolio. Pretty cool, high, right? High five. Let's high five. High five, man. That's, that's amazing. That happened... Uh, January of 17 is when the last mortgage paid off. Wow. So it's been a couple of years now, man. Yeah. So every time you just dispose or uh, any of those houses, you sell them, bam, that's straight cash in your pocket. Straight cash. Well, that's, cash. I mean, that's a, that's a pretty big tax event too. So are you, uh, are you doing 1031s with any of that? I'm not, I'm yeah. taking the tax hit right now. I'm doing some private lending. Okay. Uh, doing a lot of joint venture stuff, you know, where yeah. you have newer investors come in and I'm bringing the money and bringing, you know, the, the, the expert tutelage to the deal and yep. we're partnering on stuff and I'm really enjoying that to be that's honest. Awesome. It's, it's a lot of work and it's less work for me. So I'm cool with that. You know, absolutely. Let somebody operate it and put your yeah. money to work for you. Exactly. So, uh, so during those, you know, those prime years when you were, especially in the like 210, 211, when they were super cheap, what did those acquisition strategies look like for you? 
There were a couple of different ways. There was obviously just buying REOs, just straight, you know, straight cash, getting private lending or using your own money. Mm-hmm. And then there were other more creative ways. You know, I was trying to buy to scale. So you, you really needed to come up with creative ways to, to do things. And there was owner financing was a great tool. Yep. I would look for people who were sitting on MLS for a long time. And if they had no mortgage, I would offer them terms, you know, and yeah. people like that because they didn't have the tax implications and they liked right. that. And then w- one of my favorite strategies at that time was sub two, buying subject to the mortgage. Nice. Yeah. Nice. Well, so that might lead us into the, into your best deal. Cause I think you were going to talk about a sub two. Let's, let's jump right in. Yeah, was your, one of your best deals was a subject two? Yeah, it was really good, man. So, you know, here, the, the idea is I was trying to buy his house without any money out of my pocket because I didn't sure. have any real money to speak of, you know? Right, right. So that was the plan. So here's what I did. I found a property on MLS. So we're on MLS. I mean, these houses are hiding in plain freaking sight, you know? Yeah. And 150 days on MLS, right? It was a double. It was a two-family home. Double. Okay. Thing. We don't call them duplexes in Cleveland. We call them doubles because they're up and down, most of them. There oh, are, are duplexes, they? Oh, they're not side by side? No, a side by side is a duplex, up okay. and down is a double. Interesting. At least here. Yeah. Oh, so okay. this is a double, right? It's okay. a, a traditional double, as we like to call it. And uh, I, I, she was asking too much for the property, is the bottom line. Yeah. She was asking, like, I don't know what it was, $100,000. At the time, that was like, that was insane, right? The yep. house is probably worth 70 grand. Yep. So I remember her name, Jeannie. And I called Jeannie up. Uh, I actually called a realtor and said, I'm interested, blah, blah, blah. And the realtor didn't want to deal with it because she knew it was over equity. They were going to release the listing. Yeah. So I went over there and visited the property and met the seller myself. She lived wow. in the downstairs unit of this property. Okay. I said, hey, listen, I'd like to buy your property, but you know, it's not worth a hundred grand. It's probably worth 70. And she says, well, Joe, I owe 88,000 on it. Wow. And you know, with real estate commissions and closing costs, I have to get a hundred. Yep. I'm like, dude, there's no deal there, right? I mean, what am I going to do? Right. But I'm thinking, well, we're, we're, this is going to go up in, in, in value over the years. I know it is, and it, I can still make this thing cash flow. So we got to talk, and I said, Jeannie, well, what's your, you know, 88000 what's your mortgage? Her mortgage was like five fifty a month. Wow. She was 10 years in on a 30-year mortgage. Wow. So she was starting to get some amortization, right? We're getting yep. to that spot where it's not all interest. We're yep. 10 years in a 30. We're getting some amortization. And with the taxes and the insurance that were not included in the payment, the total payment was like 700 bucks a month. Okay. I knew, I knew these rent units would rent for 550 each. Okay. Yeah. And because she lived in the house, it was owner occupied. It wasn't beat to death, you know? Yeah. Oh yeah. And we all know the difference between a tenant occupied home and an owner occupied home. Yes, There's do. a difference. For sure. You just call it what it is. So yeah. Jeannie lived there and it was, it was good, man. It yeah. was like, great, but it was like good. It was rent ready. Yeah. So I knew I'd have no out-of-pocket expense in a rehab. And I figured if I could assume her mortgage, this, this could be a wonderful opportunity, right? Yeah, for sure. So I, I spoke with her about like, hey, listen, I, I, here's how I can get you out. And she was choking. Like she couldn't really make the payments, you know? I gotcha. Yeah. She knows was she do. renting out the upstairs? It was vacant at the time. Oh, it was vacant. Okay. She had a girlfriend up there. You know, they took advantage of her, you yeah. know, a friend and all, you know, that whole game. So sure. she's burnt out. She wants to, you know, get on with her life. I think she wanted to move out of state. I think she wanted to move to South Carolina from when I can remember. Wow. But there's massive opportunity in these situations. You got to find people that have a situation in a real estate deal. Those are the ones that are most motivated. Sure. Yep. So I took the title. I put the title in my name. Okay. So I had the title. Yep. And the, the mortgage just remained there, right? Yep. And she was cool. That gave her no money, just move out. And I got it from here, Jeannie. Don't worry about it. So I started making her mortgage payment. 
So what did you do to make her comfortable with that? Because, you know, a lot of, a lot of people in a subject to negotiation are going to get uncomfortable with, wait a second, how do I know you're going to make my mortgage payment? You know, what's going to happen? For sure, man. No, it's a big deal. And it comes down to this, like, in my opinion, only a certain person can sell that. You know, like if you're sending an acquisitions manager out for your big company, dude, I was there. I'm getting personal with her. You know, when I go meet a seller, you take them a little box of cookies, you're building rapport, you know, you tell how you have a family. That's how I, I was so successful in getting sub twos. It's just, you're really talking from the heart and I would show how genuine I really am. I wasn't hiding behind this big company name or whatever. I'm just a guy trying to make my mark. I'm trying to buy some houses and I'm going to do the right thing. Yeah. You know, it's, yeah. I, there wasn't any crazy sales. So just looking her in the eye saying, Jeannie, I know you want out of here and I'm going to do this. And if I don't, what's the alternative? We're, it's going to go into foreclosure, which is going to go into foreclosure anyways, because yeah. you're, you're a couple months away from not making the payments yourself. Wow. Yeah. So she, she was really cool with it, man. She was. Wow. Well, you're, yeah, I will attest to the fact that you were a very good salesman. <laughs> I appreciate so, that. <laughs> so I can see you sitting in that living room, uh, making her feel good about it. So yeah. it, contractually, what does that look like then? Do you say, look, I'm going to start just making them the mortgage payments directly. What does that look like in terms of right. picking that up? So it was really, it was just, we, we did a, a quick claim deed over to my company name okay. and it was, we didn't write anything up. It was like, I'm going to start making the payments next month. Okay. And that's what it is. Yeah. And I said, when I can, when this property has the loan to value to be able to refinance it, I'll refinance the house in my name. Gotcha. gotcha. And we couldn't put a time frame on it because we we're in a bad real estate market. We right. didn't know what was going to happen. If things were going to go up or down or sideways. We just didn't know. Yep. So I couldn't commit to anything because I didn't want to put her I don't put myself in a situation right. that I have to refinance in three years when I can't cause the market won't allow me. Or yep. maybe I, I, I bought a bunch more houses and I can't get refinanced. There could be a multitude of reasons. So I kind of sure. had to leave it open. It just kind of, it is what it is it, 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 in, in business as in sales, ye who cares less wins. Right? So yes, I wanted the house, but she needed it out of it more than I wanted to buy it. Yes. So she right. was willing to say, Hey, listen, I'm willing to kind of do what needs to be done because I need to get out of this house. Right. Right. So that's what makes these deals work, man. Yeah. You came in and and honestly, you created a solution for her that she didn't even know existed. And she was probably thrilled. This is my opportunity to get out of here. Exactly. Exactly. So here, here's what's cool. I'm going to go a little bit more into this deal. Right. Yep. So I take this house over and it's no money in my pocket. Right. There's no rehab. And I know that two family homes in Cleveland, they're a lot of work, dude. They're a lot of management intense. Sure. So I did something better. I did a master lease option on this property. Right. And I, I leased the whole place out for $1,100 a month. Okay. To one person. Now that person, they can live in the downstairs and they probably should rent the upstairs out. Right. Yeah. If they can get more, which they probably could, I I knew the rent was like five fifty, but I mean, some people are getting 600, six and a quarter even better. So they do that. It offsets their payment to me. Right. Yep. Or the hell I didn't care if they leased the whole thing out and didn't live there. Right. But I want to put it on somebody else. Right. Right. I did that. So 1100 bucks a month. The person actually moved in the downstairs. They leased out the upstairs. Okay. And they paid that rent. This went on for three and a half years. Really? I I didn't hear a peep, man. And I was making money. So this whole time I'm making cash flow. I can't believe it. It's like a triple net lease, right? And I'm making the cash flow and her mortgage is going down. Are you responsible for the, for taxes and insurance? Yes. Yeah. I had to pay them. I had to pay them. Okay. Gotcha. I want to make sure they were paid too. So yeah, for sure. I just paid them. 
But yeah. my whole nut was 700 bucks a month. So I'm sure. still making really good money, you know? Yep. Yeah, right. it's good. Absolutely. It's good. And I'm what I'm doing is I'm creating equity, creating cash out of thin air. Right? That's right. <laughs> That's right. So I, I do this and it goes for three and a half years like this. Okay. Now I hear a peep, man. And life was good, real good. Well, what I did was I signed a deal with them on a master lease option with an option to buy at 110. Oh, wow. Wow. Right? Nice. Now at that time, the house might not have been worth that, but I'm, I'll, I'll throttle it later on. If the sure. house is only worth 80, we'll go down. If it's worth yeah. more, well, I get screwed. And that's how I would teach it. I tell, I tell the people, I'd say, listen, we're going to write it up at 110. It's like a future projection. House could be worth 130. House could be worth 80. We'll have to throttle it and figure it out if you can really buy it at that time. Yeah. Lo and behold, man, they could buy it at that time. 30, okay. it was like 39 months later, they come to me and say, hey, we're pre-approved and we're ready to close on financing. I'm like, this is a dream deal, dude, right? <laughs> because the $88,000 payment I took over was still getting principal reduction and a lot of principal reduction because like I said, we we're already 10 years in on the note. And at this point now we're 13 years in on the note. Yeah, right. So I think the, I don't hold any of these numbers. It's been a little while now, but I think the loan balance might've been around 80 grand. Okay, 79, and yeah. so that was part of your original agreement is you're taking over her note, including yes. principal pay down. Yes. Clearly principal okay. pay down. She's gotcha. out of it. Yep. She's out. So, uh, we go into, uh, closing and I had to give my seller like concession, you know, but I didn't sure. care, dude. One ten, So I gave him four grand closing costs. I'm still getting one Oh six. Right. Like when you're talking big numbers like that, like I'm not penny pension. No, I'm just grateful. I made 400 bucks a month. I'm grateful. I'm about to get a huge check. Yep. So give them their, give them their freaking you know, seller concession. Yep. So I did, man. And uh, 106 minus some seller, you know, you know, the closing costs sure. and a little bit tax here and there. credit. Right. But dude, I walk out of closing the check for like 20 some grand. Yeah. Uh, that's amazing. And I was like, this is cool. This is really cool. I, I could do this times a hundred, you know? Right. Yeah. So, Don't you wish they were all that smooth? Ah, dude, of course, you know? Yeah. And they're not all that smooth, but it's happened. It's happened a lot over the years. And really? uh, Where they're just, everything goes smoothly. Yeah, it happens. It yeah. happens. It may have your headaches, but you know, of course, we're not telling war stories on this show. We're telling the successes. <laughs> that's and right. That's okay. Yeah. You know, but the more stuff you stick at the wall, the more opportunity you have to make money. The more dollars you waller and the more stick to you, as they say. You know, all the cliche things they say, yeah. but yeah. yeah, man. So it was a really good sub too. They're out there. They're out there every day. I mean, people yeah. need to, you know, sell these houses in situations and they have mortgages and Absolutely. there's opportunity, brother. Love opportunity it, man. everywhere. So, uh, so this is probably a little early on in your career. What did you, what did you take away from this deal? What did you learn? How did you change your business going forward? Having done a deal like this? Well, this is the thing, man. It's like the real estate markets are ever changing. So just because you have a strategy that might work today, doesn't necessarily work at three years later. Right. And you have to be on the cutting edge and know what's going on. And almost in my opinion, in every market in the country, because you got to always got to know what's coming to you. Yeah. What's coming? Being a Cleveland, Ohio guy, I'll watch California. I'll watch mm. Phoenix. I'll watch Dallas because it like seems to sweep across the country of what's yeah. happening. Uh, but it got that deal got me real excited, man. I learned a lot. I did a lot more of those. I did a lot of seller financing. It made me look at deals in different ways and maybe figure out ways to do deals and put deals together. You don't always have to have a bunch of money. And right. uh, it, was a, it was valuable. I mean, it, absolutely valuable experience. Man, that's amazing. Joe, great, great sub two story. And you know, I don't think we've even had a sub two story yet on Best Deal Ever. So really appreciate you coming on and sharing with us. Always good to see you, brother. You too, man. Thank right. you. Take care, man. Hey, friends, let's talk for just a minute about the market we're in right now. It's tough, right? Deals are hard to come by. 
The last thing you need is trouble funding a deal once you've done the hard work to source it. Trust me, I get it. I've been at this for 16 years and financing deals is often a huge pain in the rear. So I decided to solve the problem. I launched Red Capital Lending for real estate investors like me and probably like you. The days of paying 12% interest are over. And if it's taking more than a week for your lender to close, you're using the wrong lender. We've built Red Capital Lending for the sole purpose of providing the lowest cost of investment capital possible. I'm talking about interest rates in the sevens. With the highest level of customer service and with the fastest turnarounds, our goal is to provide funding within five days. If you've got a deal coming up and you're ready to save money and avoid the typical hassles associated with most lenders, take a minute and just submit your deal at redcapitallending.com. We'd love to work with you and show you just how easy it can be to fund your next project. Again, redcapitallending.com. Okay, so let's get back to the show, except in this segment, we're going to talk about the deals that didn't go so well. Hope you enjoy. All right, I'm with my good friend, Joe Lieber, out of Cleveland, Ohio. And Joe, I want to hear about your nastiest, grossest, worst deal ever. Oh, you know I got those, brother. You know I got those, man. 20 years in the real estate business, if you don't have uh, scrapes and bruises, you're not playing hard enough. No doubt. You're not in the business if you don't have a couple exactly. of those, man. Exactly. So let's hear. What do you got? Uh, all right, man. So, you know, I've been in the business since 1997, and I was trudging along there, you know, uh, with single-family homes and maybe some two-families from 97 till 2009. Wow. 2009, I decided, hey, man, you know, it's time to get shit rich. I'm ready to make some real money, dude. Right. Everybody tells me you got to buy commercial real estate, man. You want to, you want to be like Donald Trump, bro. You need to get commercial real estate. Right. Okay. All right, let's do it. So I went out there and I found a, a, a off market 48 unit apartment building here in Cleveland, Ohio. Okay. Like This is it, boy. This is my one. This is, I'm going to kill it. So I, I found it off market. I negotiate with the seller I negotiate everything right, man. Like yeah. it's 09, the market's in the tank. Yeah. He's, this guy's literally 90 years old and uh, he wants to sell, man. And yeah. what was crazy, it's so awesome. It's like he offered me owner financing. Oh, crap. He goes, give me 20% down. I paid $850,000 for this building. Okay. Gave him 20% down and he carried a mortgage, a 30-year term mortgage at 5%. Dang, man. Like, dude, it's better you get the bank. Like, how could you not make money like this? I'm like, even if I overpay for it, which I didn't think I was, I was like, man, you know, uh, at 5%, I mean, no closing costs, stuff like this, a dream deal. Sure. So, um, hmm, that's when the fun starts. So, I, I get this building, man, and it's all bad, brother. It's all bad. <laughs> Everything about it's bad. Everything is expensive. Like, I, I'm, it had a, it, this building had eight front doors on it, right? For eight different like corridors or sections of the building. Right. And like my first experience was the, 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 the door was broken and the commercial doorman comes out and he says to me, Hey, the new door is $4,200. I'm like 4,200. I'm like, dude, I can put a new door on my single family home for 300 bucks. And he explained to me, he goes, he goes, listen, young boy. I was 29 years old when I bought this building, by the way. He said, call me a young Man. boy. And he says to me, he goes, listen, dude. He's like, a single family home, the front door of a single family home, the door opens eight to 10 times a day at max. This door is going to open about 180 times a day. Wow. Because those crappy Home Depot hinges aren't going to support, buddy. You need steel, man. <laughs> Real steel hinges and steel door because it's not going to be able to handle it. 
Oh, no. That was my first wake-up call, man. And that, that just escalates, right, from the, the boilers were 15000 a boiler versus, you know, 1000 bucks to put a furnace in. Right. The roof was $90,000, needed to be repaired. The, the, the parking lot was $50,000 to re-asphalt it. Uh, the, the, the gas bill, right, because it was, it was a garden-style building where it was three levels. Yeah. Well, heat rises. So people on the third floor would open their windows because it was very hard to control the heat no matter what. Wow. So I'm really just blowing heat out the windows. <laughs> uh, you know, people take, cause I'm paying the water bill, you know, the showers are a little bit longer, you know, sure. you don't still, the, the care level is not there, you know, right. the management issues, the, the beating the, the property takes. Um, what about tenants? Turn, I mean, were, yeah, the, man. were they, I mean, what was the price point of those apartments? 500 a month. That's a tricky price point, man. It is, man. And it, the turnover is crazy. It was yeah. crazy, the turnover. Right. As soon as someone goes in, someone's going out, someone's not paying, there's a slow pay, you're waiting. You could never, it was just, there's no consistency, man. Right, right. And it's very hard to run a building like that when you're, I, I would say I was, my effective occupancy, so there's a difference between occupancy and effective occupancy. You know, I might have shown 90% occupy, but effectively I'm bringing in about 72 to 75% of the rents on a monthly basis. Really? And it's 75% effective occupancy. Dude, you, you're treading water at best. Yeah. And that's what happens. So yeah, I would pay the bills, but I'm breaking even month, breaking even. Or if I made a couple of grand, you better keep it because you know that roof needs to be done. And somehow you get $90,000 to do a roof. Golly. It was, dude, it was expensive. It just, it never made sense. And if I had to do a CapEx item, I'd have to raise money. Or I remember a couple of times I would actually have to call the owner and say, because it was a private loan, I'd say, sir, I have to update the breaker boxes for the insurance. Can you give me six months off on the bill, on the, on the monthly mortgage payment? Maybe just add it to the back end. Wow. He was cool. He did. He did? That for me, oh, that's man. cool. He did it like three or four times for me on a 10 year period. Wow. But that building stole. 10 years of my life, dude. You don't know the hours that went into that thing. <laughs> so were you doing a lot of the management yourself or do you had an onsite manager? I had an onsite manager that I okay. had to manage. Yeah, sure. You know, and that, that was rough, man. Yeah. And, and, then the, and then just to wrap it up, I know, this is a, I know this is a short one here, but just to wrap this up, and then the final ass kicking came <laughs> where after 10 years of owning the building and I, I sold it for what I paid for it. So I broke, broke even, but you really didn't between security deposit returns and uh, final utility bills. But the final ass kicking came where all the things that like I wrote off and the depreciation I took, yeah. there was depreciation recapture. Oh yeah. So I got like a $250,000 K1 that I had to pay uh, tax oh, on, ordinary gosh. income tax on for depreciation recapture. Ah, oh, dude. Look, it's not for I me. You didn't I'm want to really, won that. I, I, I didn't. Yeah, I didn't. You're done. I was done, dude. Yeah. I'm done. You know, whatever. It was a good lesson. I know this, though. I'm really good at single family homes. It's my right. niche. I have 20 yeah. years. I'm awesome at it. It works well. That's just what works for me. So when these guys are about scaling their multifamily businesses and stuff, great, good. I'm glad it works for you. You're going to cut your teeth, though. Anyone going to, to go buy a 100 unit building or whatever you want to buy, just know going in, you're going to cut your teeth, man. Yeah. Yeah. So. Man, that's so. I guess it's, this being your first one, you probably didn't know to, all the due diligence items in terms of what are the capex that are coming up and what am I really acquiring this property for? Because really, in exactly. hindsight, you were acquiring it for eight fifty plus all those things that you knew needed to be done in the first three years. Exactly, and you just don't think that through. And then I thought I could get them done a lot cheaper. I mean, yeah, it was forty two hundred bucks right. a door, and I had eight of them. Yeah, 
dang, man, I thought they could put a door a thousand bucks, maybe, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, and then again, so you sold it, you know, for what you paid for it, but you still probably put, put all the CapEx into it. And then all the hours over 10 years of your life, yeah, man. that's really where the opportunity cost is. Yeah. That's the opportunity cost right there. That's just it really was. drain. And that, and, and even the K, K1 hurt, that hurt to pay. I don't know what the net pay I, I had to pay on that K1, but it was a lot, man. That's, you know, then that's a really good point too. People love depreciation, but man, you better have a strategy in place to 1031 yeah, and keep, you know, kicking the ball down the, down, down the court or you're going to get stuck with a big old recapture like you did. Exactly. And you can 1031 if you don't need the money. Yeah. I mean, what if you need the money? Like that's things true. are expensive, dude. Like, yeah. like we talked about, talked about another episode, you know, cars and country clubs and private schools, dude, you need cash flow and money for that true. stuff too, man. That's right. Yeah. So. Be, be ready to take that tax hit if you've been, uh, either way, whether or not yeah, you've been man. taking depreciation. Joe, I appreciate you sharing with us, man. I, I remember when I was in Cleveland with you and you, I, this was 2014. You didn't even have it that long. And I remember you telling me what a pain in the butt this property was. So yeah, kudos man. to you for selling it though. I know it feels Thank good you, to get man. rid of a property like that. Oh yeah, dude. It feels real good. Yeah. All right, buddy. We'll talk soon. Take care, buddy. All right, buddy. Hey, Deal Farm listeners. If you haven't heard, I just recently released a book through Bigger Pockets Publishing called Profit Like the Pros. If you dig the Best Deal Ever podcasts, you will definitely want to get your hands on this book. I take 25 stories from some of the top investors in the country and distill them down into 25 separate chapters that will not only entertain you, but educate and inspire you in all different facets of real estate investing. From wholesaling and flipping to self-storage, multifamily and commercial, we get into the details of short sales, subject twos, and even land flipping. And whether you're a brand new investor or you have years of experience under your belt, I promise you this book will engage you. If you would, take a minute, go to Amazon and order this book, Profit Like the Pros. And if you like it, please leave us a review. Thanks so much, folks, and I will see you on the next episode of The Deal Farm.